Hey, today on episode 480 of the I Am Salt Lake podcast, we chat with our new friend, John Courtney, one of the owners and founders of Chop Shop Park City. John shares the story of Chop Shop Park City as well as what got him interested in becoming a butcher. Fascinating story here, guys. I don't think that we've ever had a butcher on the podcast. Maybe. I don't know. know. Correct me if I'm wrong. But we're going to get into that conversation here in a couple of minutes. Yes, we are. But before we do... I think we should introduce ourselves. Don't I have great ideas? <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> I'm Chrissy Hollifield. Hey, and I'm Chris Hollifield. And we're married. <laughs> and if you're a long-time listener, you know that. And welcome back. Thanks for joining us again. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, you might be wondering what it's all about. Well, hang tight, because we're here every week for you with a brand new episode where we get to showcase awesome people in Salt Lake City and surrounding areas. We get to talk to business owners, authors, tattoo artists, restaurant owners, breweries, distilleries, food truck owners, really anyone that might have a cool story to share. Hey, and like I said, John Courtney's on this episode. He has a cool story to share. He is the owner and founder of Chop Shop Park City. Great location. This is a great conversation. I really enjoyed chatting with him. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. Here we go. I want to find out though, right off the bat, man. What got you interested in being a butcher? Because uh, not everybody, I'm sure, wants to be a butcher. You know, it's something I've been doing uh, throughout my culinary career for other chefs or for other restaurants. And, you know, it's part of the job, um, as well as sometimes that was like my designated task for most of the day. Uh, Fish butchery, animal butchery, whole animal butchery, those type things. And so I always really enjoyed it. It was a way to kind of escape in a way to, you know, kind of zone out and, you know, it's very precise and you really can't make too many mistakes as it's very costly, especially in the restaurant scene. Um, You know, butcher, you know, you can grind a lot of things. Uh, You can make sausage out of a lot of things, but if you don't have those items on a menu or there's not a facility to, to um, remove some of any of that waste, right. And make turn, turn waste into something that isn't truly waste. It's just trim or, uh, maybe you make a mistake on a cut. Um, so what do you do with it? Does it become staff meal? You haven't always been a butcher though, right? Like how long have no. you been a butcher and what got you into it? Yeah, ultimately, um, you know, my first real butchery position would have been at RMC Food. Um, I worked for Rick Moon in Las Vegas where I truly had to butcher all day long as a sous chef. I was opening sous and so that was part of the job, you know, and the position. Not that other chefs in the room didn't assist in that but for a majority of the time uh that was my my position and you're in a cold room you know in vegas that sounds amazing but you know <laughs> when you're in the middle of a hotel with air conditioning it's not always that warm you're kind you of have trapped. like uh yeah you put like warm towels in a low oven or t- towels in a low oven and then wrap them around your neck in the colder months and go into the butchery and like sit in this cold box for four or five hours just butchering fish and i really enjoyed it you know i'd turn on uh music and just kind of zone out and have a good time, you know, like in there. And so I remember those days and through all the years of cookery and opening restaurants and things of that nature, one of the crafts in our culinary world really to me was butchery and something that is an older skill, you know, in in our sense or kind of a, you know, a surgeon is a doctor, but he's a surgeon, right? So, or she is a surgeon for that matter, you know, so I just kind of liked that it was a, a, a honed portion of our craft, if you will. Um, so when the opportunity arose to open something, 
and we saw a need up here, I felt like Butcher was a good starting point. But that that goes that goes twofold. So um, I spent a lot of time in Europe. Um, I've opened restaurants in Europe. I've worked in Europe for a long time. These earbuds are the worst. My ears are either too small or I don't know. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so uh, they'll pop out occasionally as we're talking. It's just going to happen. Uh, but no, so I spent some time in Europe and then, you know, you start seeing Italy's being built in the United States, which is a much larger format of what, what we were looking to do. But, you know, in the same sect that, Hey, you're going to go take an artisanal part of culinary and you're going to offer it either cooked or raw. And someone can either have it there right then, or take it home and eat it or take it home raw and cook it. So to me, I really liked that. And in Europe, you know, having a butcher, he's also got your bakeries, your fish, he's, you know, sometimes your wine, um, you know, they're pretty much everything in some of these smaller towns or next door, they'll have uh, the necess- necessities that you're looking for. So I thought, why not kind of introduce that? My business partners um, had found a location in Napa, uh, Healdsburg, actually, sorry, um, called Journeyman Meats. And Journeyman Meats uh, is, you know, cheese and charcuterie forward. They had a wood-fired oven. Um, they do some flatbreads, uh, some pizzas, but a little bit different idea than what an Italy is or that that realm of food courts, food halls, things of that nature. Um, so with what I had just opened for Cosmopolitan Hotel, I, I worked for um, Cosmo, was my prior job to coming up to Park City and open Block 16, which was uh, six restaurants that they curated. And we opened uh, five in one day and one a month later. Yeah. So it was, it was a, a large That's daunting a task. But yeah. You know, and I spent a year prior working with every restaurant. So Lardo in Portland, Pock Pock in Portland, and all of their teams, um, Hattie B's in Nashville, and District Donuts, Sliders and Brews in New Orleans. Um, so what brought you to Utah? It sounds like you really, you really studied and traveled abroad. Yeah. You know, um, my grandparents lived in Truckee my whole life and, um, uh, I spent a lot of time up there and snowboarding and skiing and I lived in Reno for a while. And so my goal was always to get back to the mountains. Um, my wife and I had visited park city several times, fell in love with it from a ski perspective. And everybody told us, Hey, you know, the summers are even better. And, but we didn't actually really look at it. We were looking in Denver of all places over this. Um, and then just at the last, yeah, just the last <laughs> second, something came up and we visited Denver for the first time. She had lived there for a little while. Um, you know, it was like a summer she had lived there for, for a school, um, externship. And so she really liked it. And then I got there and it's a pretty foodie town, you know, and I, I grew up in San Francisco Bay area. So it kind of reminds me of that eclectic group of, you know, mixed cultures and, you know, different ideals, but you can all cohabitate in the same environment in a big, you know, kind of city environment is very diverse. Yeah. I really enjoy that. And Park City is not exactly that necessarily, but slightly uh, less diverse. Yeah. We're working on it though. We're working on it. Yeah, we are. You know, we, we, we also have a young son. I have an older son, a 21 year old and a three year old. So, um, it was a better place to raise a child than Vegas, in my opinion. Not that Vegas is bad. You just pay for everything there. If if you really want to raise a child, you gotta pay for it, you know? from a school perspective, because their school system is just not that great up here, you know, a more family environment. We wanted to kind of move away from big cities, being able to actually afford a piece of land in my family. Like I was really stoked, you know, to have that opportunity. And she had a position with Waldorf Astoria at the time. So they had hunted her to come up here. So it was good for her uh, career path as well to evolve from that general manager up into a director role. 
Well, that see, that's really cool because it was, seems like a positive move for everybody. It was. It really was. Uh, I was a little lost in the shuffle in the sense of what I was working on prior to what I came up here to do. Um, but then in the end, you know, everything happens for a reason, right? And so my business partners and I had met and we started this uh, conversation. And, you know, from there, we kind of built what Chop Chop is today. Where did you meet your uh, partners at? Were your business partners? Uh, well, the first time we met was in Vegas at a, a competition, a cooking competition that we used to do at night called Back of House Brawl. And it was a, a way to kind of bring some of the hotel chefs together and, and food and beverage. I shouldn't just say uh, culinary, but to bring, you know, all of hospitality for that matter together. Um, we did it like eight times a year. And it was on a Saturday night, usually uh, at, at like midnight, 1 a.m. And you'd go after work because you typically were off on Sunday, Mondays or Sundays. If you weren't lucky enough to get Sundays off, then you just powered through. But we'd go and compete on food trucks and it was for charity. And so, you know, have a chef from, you know, the Cosmopolitan going against a chef from Caesars or something of that nature or an off-strip chef versus an on-strip chef or the two barbecue chefs in town. Or, and, you know, we, we'd raise a good amount of money and it was a way for us to kind of meet each other because, you know, each building in that town is like a city. So if you don't leave your little respective city, you may not meet someone next door that could be very beneficial to you, you know, and you're not just your career, but hey, I'm having trouble getting some product in. I know you're a massive steakhouse. Do you have something I can buy directly from you or could we trade because we use the same vendor, you know? So there's a lot of things that were beneficial. Didn't happen all the time, but, you know, there's emergencies happen. At least you have a friend in, in need, so to speak, right? Um, so yeah. moving up here to us was was all about evolving um, our family life and, you know, getting outdoors more. And I'm a huge snowboarder. So for me, it was, you know, that's why we close on Mondays, to be honest. Chop Chop will never open on Mondays <laughs> during, especially the ski season. That is nature day. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, exactly. So in the summer, we're doing that now. We took a bike ride today. So. Very cool. Yeah. No, I was curious, like when you got involved with Chop Shop. So it sounded like you were involved right from the very beginning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm a founder. The logo was created by myself and my wife. Really? Right on. Uh, yeah, she, she created the tagline, actually. Uh, everyone approved it. We looked through a bunch of iterations, but yeah. The format of the food, the menu, all that I've, I've built out. Um, but that was my portion of the partnership. You know, that's what I brought to the table. Um, I've seen how others have put lightning in a bottle. Um, you know, the Hattie Bees of the world and those guys that are amazing operators. And Cosmopolitan Hotel taught me a lot, too. They were great operators. Um, but Corey, same thing, Carson kitchen. I mean, look what he's done to evolve it. So I was very fortunate to work with a lot of great people. Um, some that are well-known and some that aren't. All right. We're going to take just a couple of minutes now and talk to you about one of our awesome sponsors. I love talking about them. UtahMarijuana.org. They're your number one spot for all things, medical marijuana, medical cannabis, CBD, and THC. I don't know if you guys remember Tim Pickett way back on episode 420. We brought him in. We chatted with him. We found out uh, what it was like being a medical cannabis doctor here in Utah. Well, Tim, he's behind UtahMarijuana.org, and now they're a sponsor of this podcast. And what's really cool is that their team of medical cannabis experts, they make getting your medical card super easy from your first office visit to navigating the state card application and beyond. And on top of that, when you have to renew... They will call you and walk you through the whole process until you get your renewal, which is actually really tricky if you try to do it on your like uh, oh, trying yeah. to figure it out is crazy. Yeah. Uh, so they, they do they go above and beyond helping you get all of your medicine legally. 
They have over 20 compassionate and highly skilled qualified medical care providers ready to help you find relief, so you won't have to search for a doctor willing to recommend cannabis treatment. And right now, they're offering an exclusive discount to I Am Salt Lake listeners. Use the code GREEN25 for $25 off your first visit. Seriously, use that code, get $25 off your first visit, GREEN25. I did it. That way they know you came from the podcast. That way you're getting your card and you're supporting the podcast. Yeah. Hey, pretty cool. And if you're in the North Salt Lake Bountiful area, check this out because utahmarijuana.org, they have a location right next door to Wholesome Co., which is the dispensary there in Bountiful. The address is 580 West 100 North, number four, right in Bountiful. It's actually right next door to Costco too. So if you know where that is. Boom, right there. So depending on where you're located in the valley, they have a location just for you. Hey, isn't it time that you took control of your own health? UtahMarijuana.org. Feel better. For listeners that have not visited Chop Shop, let's be really, I mean, this is going to be a very basic question. Sure. I mean, just let, let's describe Chop Shop. So you got you got you got like kind of a place that people can kind of go get some lunch, right? And then you got a butcher shop. If you look at our tagline, it's butchered, cured, and wood fired. Mm-hmm. So we kind of segregated, you know, um, probably not the best word, uh, compartmentalized <laughs> three different areas that I felt that you could gain customer base from. Um, one is a butcher shop, first and foremost. Cured, meaning um, like our cheese and charcuterie and some of the, the product that we do there for guests. Uh, and then wood-fired would be our hot food that we could provide to people. Um, so you could come in for a sandwich today and maybe a sandwich next week. But in a few weeks, hey, I see you have dry-aged beef and it's a special event. I'd like to do this for myself or my family. Or I'm going to cook a brisket this weekend. You know, can I come back on Friday and pick it up? Um, we have uh, family and friends coming into town. And they love cheese and charcuterie. So could we get a board ahead of time and we'll swing by and pick it up? Or someone needs something on the fly, hey, just give me a little bit of time. We'll get it prepared for you right away. So we slice the order. We do everything and curate it custom as possible. So if that kind of helps, you know, divide things up. And then each of those segments, you know, we work hard at trying to find either the best beef we can, pork, um, lamb, and, and not always the best. You know, the farms two, to, two roads down may be equally as good. I just – these are the farmers we've been able to locate and talk with and work with closely and found a good story that fits our um, narrative. So all your meat comes local there, right? As best as I can. Predominantly though, the beef program comes from Kansas. It's uh, Creekstone Farms meat. Their story is something that I've been close with for a long time. I've worked with the product for a long time, been out and visited the farms, the finishing farm. Um, They treat their animals on these farms like pets, not like food. And, you know, one of the farms, she predominantly grades prime you know they're not carbon copies these are animals right so they're 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 growing um so how she cares for them you know they walk right up to her it was weird (laughs) like i've never seen food react that way and not to downgrade the animal but at the end of the day the animal we know what it's for it's to break down into proteins that we want to eat um but it says a lot that the cows want to come right up to her that you know that that, that's proof that she's at least loving them and taking care of them. Yeah. And that matters to me. Like Mm -hmm. I want to know that these animals are cared for. I don't need a commodity item. If I did that, I would just go work for one of the large houses, right. Or, you know, just go get a job and be, be part of that system. And there's nothing wrong with what they do. You know, the larger houses are there for a purpose. 
I want the guest that wants to come in for something that's more unique, where there's no hormones, no antibiotics, you know, that the animal has been raised humanely, has been harvested humanely, that matters. And we found a, a farm in the Elsinore area, it's where we get our lamb from, and we harvest two whole lamb a month, sometimes three. You know, they're a sixth generation shepherd. They homesteaded their land in the 1850s and have been there ever since. You know, that's a really cool story. And Utah itself lends lends itself to a lot of great agriculture. I'm, I'm really shocked at some of the things we found. During pandemic, my wife found a, a local family. Their son was getting a merit badge. So he created a honey company and he put himself through college. Oh, <laughs> and so wow. we buy his local, it's from Heber Valley Honey to Judy's Farm, it's called. And Judy's it's Farm, great. Huh? Yeah, it's That's a so great, cool. great honey. And these huge five-pound tubs of unfiltered honey. Good and so you him. can find all these like unique little pockets of things. Gold Creek Farms, we get our cheese from. Onto the menu side a little bit, not to kind of like bounce around. But, you know, I we do have a wood-fired oven, and that is in the tagline. And I didn't want to be a pizzeria. That's not what I wanted to be. And that's like the first thing you think of when you hear uh, wood-fired or brick. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I don't want to like degrade customers' knowledge, but... It's frustrating sometimes when you're like, this is the oldest cooking method in the world. <laughs> and, you know, a wood-fired uh, tube, <laughs> essentially, you know, and to think that oh, it's only used for pizzas is just kind of funny sometimes, you know. And I happen to have been fortunate enough to buy one an oven and put it in our yard in Vegas, in our backyard. And that was the first thing people would say when you're buying, oh, you're buying a pizza oven. Sure, I'm going to buy and spend this kind of money. And all I'm going to do is <laughs> and work for two and a half to three hours to heat it up to the 800 degrees or 700 degrees I want. And, and then, then cook for 90 pizza. seconds. <laughs> yeah, like 90 <laughs> second pizza. And then, yeah, I'm done. That's, 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 that was my shtick, you know? Most, <laughs> most of you us know, aren't creative enough to know what else to do with it. That's the problem. And, I, and, I, and that's what I, and it, you know, it's, it's absolutely right. And it's um, rude of me to, to make that assumption that, Others should think outside the box on that because you're right. Like that's, it's kind of what they've been designed to be used for, I guess, in restaurant world and, you know, TV and such. But I've done a Thanksgiving dinner in them that are amazing. Um, one of my favorite things is actually to do clams and mussels in them. Uh, and using, um, I have a big cast iron um, brazier and they're unbelievably cheap. It's like $45 online for this cast iron brazier. And you heat that thing up and then you throw everything all at once, your white wine, your garlic, and those things just start popping in the wood fire. It's amazing. Wow, um, that so sounds good. Back, back to that, you know, I, I did want to do a pizza though because I didn't want to disappoint having something of that nature and not do a pizza. So we decided to do a Detroit style, which does not come out of that oven actually. It comes out of a different oven. What, what's a Detroit style? Yeah, so Detroit style pizza is a deep dish. Um, it's a lighter dough than like a Chicago style. There's a folklore that says it was done in a Detroit oil pan from the Ford factory or Chevy factory. Originally is how the dough was risen in these pans. The cheese melts down the side of it and creates this crown around it. Traditionally, they use a brick cheese, but we use Gold Creek Farms cheese here from Woodland, um, Utah. Uh, Fernando, the cheesemaker, was able to manipulate the hydration levels and some of the salinity so that we get the same effect um, but we get to, to use a mozzarella that's a local cheese. Oh, wow. Um, that's really So it's cool. kind of play on it. It's a play on, you know, our version of Detroit, if you will. Um, so things of that nature, we thought we could be really unique in each category. Go find great farmers, put up some unique product that, you know, we're not competing against some of the other local greats around here that have been doing it for a long time. Um, I'm not trying to push people around in our own market, you know, that are trying to survive in this time period, especially. 
Um, opening in a pandemic is a kind of a unique time to open. I love the fact that you know we're new, but everyone's been so kind and embraced us so early on. It's been very flattering. Speaking of the pandemic, uh, I was kind of curious. So there was a time last year that there was kind of this like meat scarce, right? Like where it was like there was no meat available anywhere. Did you did that affect you guys at all or not really? It opened my eyes to more of the bottlenecks in that part of the industry. Yeah. Um, for example, there's farms in Camas Valley. They go to um, harvest or slaughter. Harvest is a much kinder word, I guess, than we're using these days. So they go to harvest their animals and they were turned away. Now, they're already booking these out over a year in advance. And now due to this um, kind of issue that has arisen from pandemic, they're now having to book out their slaughters two years out. Imagine having to book all of your podcasts for the next two years. You're like, I don't even know who I want to talk to next. And then wait. You know, next year. And then how do you grow or evolve your like podcast direct direction or narrative, right? Like if you want to continue talking about specific groups of the industry or what direction do you want to turn? How are you going to decide that now and how life evolves over two years? And these farmers, they don't make a lot on these animals, you know? So for them to decide they can grow their business by 40 head, a hundred head, but then where are they going to process? And it seems like two years is a, a pretty long amount of time in the life of an animal too. Yeah, considering that you have to hit them before three years or 30 months, actually, um, in the USDA fashion to um, to make any money on your animals. So you got to be really quick on the draw, really, like, to, to know this. And then two years, to me, it's just, I, I mean, I can't forecast like that. How do they forecast like that? How fair is that? So I wasn't necessarily directly affected, but farms we work with and know well, well have been um, adversely affected. So they're having to look for new avenues. A lot of them are moving to mobile facilities. Um, you'll start, I think you'll start seeing more facilities coming online for harvest. I myself even spoke with um, some locals out here and the um, mayor and such. And, you know, would there be a possibility to put something like that out here? We have a lot of land in the Camas Valley. I don't know, in Browns Canyon. I don't know. There's There are areas that could help a lot of these Utah farmers and Wyoming too, because we're not that far away, right? So for them to have to truck down, you know, six hours or so, it's not that not that hard for them. But imagine if you have to truck away from here eight hours and then to find out, hey, you can't go. And then with USDA standard, they have a time frame that they have to hold them now and then return them onto a vehicle and they can only drive them for so long. And that just, you know, alters the animal's lifestyle, right? And then that starts to translate into the meat as well. Um, mm. When they start stressing out more, it's just not healthy. It's not going to hurt human consumption or any of that nature, but you're going to get not as higher quality of beef. And that's what that farmer needs. They need to grade up and they need high quality beef to make the money they need. So, you know, there is some disparities that you definitely saw or are seeing from pandemic. And the outcome of it is, I don't know if there's ever going to be a shortage of beef because I don't see that as a true problem as much as transportation and the processing of the animals. Not necessarily just beef, too. You know, pork. You look at lamb. You look at any of them. They're all having to be harvested at a very specific facility. That's interesting. I didn't really know that about the meat industry. I mean, I, I guess I don't really know the meat industry. <laughs> she just goes to the store but. and buys it, right? Like, she doesn't even pay attention. Yeah. No, you got to pay attention to that stuff, especially, um, yeah, it's just good to pay attention to that stuff. Yeah. You know, it's nice to know what you're putting in, you know, and, and as local as you can get it is, I think, even 
better. Um, and if it can't, then, you know, you go find the best. You're not going to go Parma does prosciutto to Parma better than I think anybody. And so you just go buy prosciutto to Parma. Right. But if I could get something local that that's that, of that quality or even close to it, why not? Totally. Do you take like special requests and stuff there at the butcher shop? We do. We do. Um, we have several guests throughout the holiday season asking for certain cuts um, or things done for them. I have a good culinary background, so it's a benefit for me and for the guests sometimes because they call in and, hey, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I want this. And it's all right. I'm a recipe too and help them there. You know, I've kind of joked that I may not be the best butcher, but I can cook my way out of it. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> that's all that matters, man. So you're, you're pretty good. You got some good recipes for like the organ meats and stuff or just the, the, the bizarre cut or just the cuts? No, anything, any, any cuts that you want. I mean, we make our pate is out of organ meats too. So we use, um, I want to try parts some of, of the lamb we get in and, uh, yeah, we'd love to have you guys in. That'd be great. I've never had, how do you say it? P- pate? Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've, yeah, seen, pate. It. I've yeah. seen it online. I've never tried it's it. It's like cat food, right? Like I mean, ultimately, I mean, not, it looks like it, I guess. I think I saw that on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia or something. So, I mean, if you think about what pate is, it's, you know, ground and cooked to a temperature and set, right? So you add a lot more love on the side of uh, human yeah. food versus cat food. But no, I, and I didn't mean to belittle it. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I don't take it fighting. I, there's a funny story about that, actually, that I would share with you offline someday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what's the What's the strangest request? Are you, can you share that? Like, like, is there is there a strange request that you've gotten, like, like ostrich or something like that? No. The other day, somebody actually called, and I I I, I hope if they ever listen, they're not offended by this, but um, they asked for giraffe. No kidding. And I was like, I was like, excuse me. That's like super illegal, right? Yeah, I'm like, okay, just checking. Think, I mean, <laughs> like, no, you, I would never ever even carry or try it. Like, I, I just don't see how. Like, that would be a. I mean, speaking logistically, that seems like it would be a very large animal to have to. Yeah, I that kind of led to some questions, right? Like, do you want the neck portion, or what are you looking to do? Like, and have why? you had giraffe before? <laughs> Is this? So did you ask him? I mean, did you stick around or did, was it just a quick no, hang up? At the I time mean, we were busy and I'm, I'm much funnier a few minutes after the fact. Yeah. Um, so you know what I mean? Like Totally hindsight. Yeah. Cause yeah, I would have been just like, like wow. I totally I should mean, have asked this guy. Um, we get a lot of requests for game meats though. Bison, buffalo, venison, elk. My biggest concern is that most of the time the purveyors that are giving it to me, it's, it would be frozen. So I want something fresh. Due to the way the state agriculture laws and USDA work, we can't accept, you know, a hunter's meats into the case. It has to go through a proper processing channel and then come to us. And I just haven't worked out enough of a streamlined supply chain to be able to put it in the case. But that is our goal eventually, too, is to try and get to some of our local farms. I know there's a local bison farm and buffalo farm. And then there's a local venison farm that we're going to start working with here in the next week or two. So it'll be nice to see some different local game meats in the case. I, yeah, I'm just trying. Now I'm just thinking of all these random meats. I'm like, well, I know. I mean, Chrissy's <laughs> making like the bone well, okay, broth. Yeah, I, so she's I always go, oh, yeah. weird things in there, I, you know, that yeah. she's asking for me to pick it up at the store. And a lot of times, I mean, you, when you just go to like Winco or something, you know, you're, you're, you can't find some of that stuff. I'm like, just get some pig knuckle. Yeah. It's I mean, easy. I don't even know if that, it will, but I, I got really, I don't even know if that's actually a thing. So it is. <laughs> it's probably it is. not. <laughs> good. Um, but there's this book called, uh, what is it called? Like the odd bits. 
And I do like I want to dig into it so bad. And it talks all, all about um cooking with the strange or the discarded usually parts of the animals and like cool sure. things you can do with them. And I, it fascinates me. I wish I had more time to learn about it. But do you ever get into stuff like that kind of how to re or use, I guess, just uh, the majority of the animal or all of the animal? Yeah. You know, you you have to kind of like think of what the animal's organ is for. You know, the heart is a muscle, of course, but it's pumping and moving all the time. So it's super, super tough. Um, so if you don't grind something of that nature, you're just going to end up with like a innards of a tennis ball, right? Or, you know, like of a softball type thing. Whereas like liver, liver is really fatty. So it's going to melt real quickly. So you have to like kind of decide what methodology you're going to use on cookery for that type organ um you know you have your inner pieces too where you make sausage from intestines and um you have hypothalamus gland where you can do um sweetbreads if you've heard of sweetbreads i have heard of sweetbreads i really want to try one or try making they're really tasty and eating really tasty but then there's a process there's a membrane on it that you want to take off um some will soak them in milk milk has you know uh, obviously like lactic acid so it's going to remove some blood from it um, some say it also tenderizes too. Um, I've heard that from some, some, some pretty good chefs. Um, milk, milk is a good, I would say probably use the most for offal or the inner pieces, helping just kind of remove iron and blood and things of that nature. A lot of times kidneys, same thing. Kidneys though, you know, it processes urine. So, you know, it's a filter. It's got a lot of junk in it too. So you want to kind of remove that if you can. Or you want to pair it with something very acidic because it's going to be kind of gamey and um, pungent. So something acidic and something sweet would kind of balance that. We used to do um, uh, kid- rabbit kidneys as a little like a mousse-bouche for a dish I did in France. And yeah, you, we cooked them down. And it was like um, uh, sherry and balsamic and some like fresh butter and, you know, really like local butter, like local fresh butter. So it was kind of stinky too. Um, but yeah. And then finish with like just some fresh local, like a sorrel and like on a spoon and people would murder. It, and it was super tasty. It was very tasty, but you know, those are parts and bits, like you said, odd bits that don't get used as often. That's why we include them in our pate. Um, it's part of our process too. We can use these items for other things, but some of it we use like the kidneys, um, for sure. Um, we definitely use livers, heart, um, and those parts too. Which is great. Cause they're so, they're, uh, they're so high in, um, like vitamins and yeah, kind of essential really nutrients. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a part of the kidneys that are protected by a, a type of fat, um, called leaf fat. And so we harvest that as well. And we use that in our buttermilk biscuits instead of using butter. Um, so we, it's a byproduct that we have a lot of instead of wasting it, you know, um, or trying to sell it, mm-hmm. get somebody else to do something with it. We created something from it, it makes a, a much lighter biscuit. Is it like a lard or does it kind of replace butter one-to-one? No, not really. Cause it's, it's almost like if you dehydrated fat in a way, but yet it's still melted, if that kind yeah, of makes sense. Totally, um, totally. It's and, like more the, dense or something. Yeah, dense, but then it flakes. So that's, I think, where the term leaf comes from because it kind of like peels apart and breaks apart and it's crumb, very, very crumbly. Um, but as soon as you start to touch it, it, it's very malleable and melts pretty quickly. But there's not very much moisture in it compared to butter. Um, so you do end up with a lighter biscuit because of it. That's cool. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's something we sell in the shop. And then, you know, it's kind of the other piece too. It's like, 
I want to share this biscuit with you because we have a byproduct from the butchery side. So we put it in our grab and go case. You can take it home and, and cook it yourself at a later date um, from frozen. Or we offer a breakfast biscuit that we do um, all day. And so you get to try our buttermilk biscuit, our local eggs we get, um, and then our house breakfast sausage that we do. So it's a way to showcase what you could buy out of the butcher shop, what you could buy out of the grab and go, but that you can also taste something too. Do you ever get sick of cooking and like doing all this stuff? I mean, do you find yourself like when you're at home and you're like, I just don't want to cook. Right. But on that same note, you probably also get asked to cook at every party and every event. And you're just like, I'm sick of it. Your your family's like, just call John. (laughs) I, uh, I wish it was that, that much uh, work. Um, uh, but it's not, I, I really enjoy what I do. Um, you know, if you love it, you, you never work another day in your life, truly. Um, and funny enough, I'll do this all day and then come home and still make dinner for my wife and, and family. Uh, and I used to do it in Vegas too. I'd work a lot longer hours there and a lot more days in a row per se, um, just cause Vegas has never shut down. Right. Um, and still cook. Uh, I, I really enjoy it. I, what I don't enjoy is when I have to choose the meal sometimes. Like, what do you feel like? No, what do you feel like? Right. Like that, if you could just say, I want soup dumplings, I'll go with, I'll I'll make soup dumplings. If you want, you know, I want Indian food tonight. I want, you know, uh, fresh fish or I want something. Give me a direction. That's much more helpful for me than, I don't know, you, you're the chef. You tell me, right? (laughs) And now my wife's a great cook. That's the funny part, but she's a really, really good cook. Wow. That's nice. Yeah, and a better bartender, so which is really nice too. So you guys just have like really good food at home all the time and drinks. It sounds like <laughs> yeah, and extra she's beds. Been, yeah, actually we do. Hey. <laughs> that was the other perk of coming up here. We ended up with this really fortunate house that you know we can have like lots of our family here, and this thing's going to continue just to pop out of my ear. I guess I need headsets like you guys have. They're way better. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, when you're doing a few more podcasts, you know, you got to get yeah, up to there it. Yeah, we, we use them a lot. Better. No, that's cool, man. That's cool that you found. Um, it's, it's cool you found like, something you love that ever, much. Did you ever think about like teaching or anything? Like doing some some culinary classes or anything? Yeah, we actually just did our first um, pizza class. I know I jokingly said I didn't want to be a pizzeria, but, um, you know, wood fire and, I, and the, the wood fired ovens aren't also just for pizzas, but we actually teach a class on how to use a wood fired oven for pizza. Um, nice. there's a lot of customers that have these ovens, which is mind boggling to me. Um, some even have them in their homes, which is awesome. So some are knowledgeable, some are not, some really want one for their house. Um, so, you know, we felt like it would be a good way to teach kind of about what pizza to me means. Cause you know, there's, let's face it, it's flour, water, and yeast. There's not much to it. Time of course is a, a, a huge um, factor in, in how good your pizza is. But you know, a lot of people didn't understand the uh, hydration factor that, you know, that's really the key to it all. And then the type of flour. Yeah. But other than that, it's just really about hydration. So I base my class on that. And then the oven, it's, you know, how to start one, how to, what you can use them for, um, how to use them when, like when you shut them down. Um, the great thing about them is they're amazing dehydrators. So if you have fruits, meats, veg, anything you want to dehydrate, you slide them in on a tray, close the lid. And two days later, you have the best dehydrated product you've ever seen. Um, it doesn't have to be two days necessarily, but, um, you can use it for up to two days with the lid shut and it'll still sit at 160 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. So they're, safely? they're really, safely? I guess safely. Yeah. it's being done. 
they're really, really great uh, ovens for, for that, you know, lack of bread term. Um, but it's the versatility of them. And then, you know, they do impart some, some nice flavor, right. That you don't normally get off of just a regular oven or a smoker or, you know, it's just slightly different. So yes, uh, to answer your question, yeah, we're working on some classes. <laughs> I think a butchery class would be good too. I, I have um, uh, an event coming up in May with a, a local chef. Um, she does our, our pastries, Waylon Lucas. Um, she wrote a cookbook, Sunny Side Up, that we carry as well. And she's great. Like The product she puts out is amazing. And she's just a, a really great person to know and to be around. She's doing a class for some friends. Um, it's a, more of a female forward um, retreat um, for a group of women. And so she wanted to add a segment of teaching butchery. And so I've been pondering like what to do for this for weeks. And I really felt like I didn't want to be rude, but you know, if you were to go to Costco, especially in this state, like the Costco in Salt Lake is amazing. Uh, it's, you don't even, you could it's open a business everything. out of that thing. Yeah. Like, their meat market is amazing too, right? Like the product that they carry and the quantities you can get. And yeah. So, but if you were to go in there and buy a whole tenderloin, you know, something that's not broken down, what do you do with it? How do you use it? Was kind of my premise for the class would be approachable items that you could get at a store not necessarily our store either. If you're somewhere else too, what if you move? Like, well, I, I want the class to be of use in the future. So, you know, on a tenderloin, there's a lot of waste. I personally do not like that cut of meat. The filet is not my favorite cut. I, I don't like the waste off of the animal to get that cut the way the customer wants it. So what do you do with that waste instead of making it waste? Like I said earlier, um, you know, turn that into something that's valuable. Um, fajitas or grind it, or you can do all sorts of things. What's your favorite? What's your favorite cut of meat? Uh, I really like the skirt steak. That's okay, my, one of my favorites. That's, that's like really thin, kind of like a flank steak, isn't it? Kind of, yeah, it's a little bit softer, but, but not really, really unctuous. Yeah, um, I like. I made one one parts. time. I remember. <laughs> I love short ribs, um, especially from the chuck area. Oh yeah, you know, that area of the animal um, gets so much work. You know, the neck area too. I love beef neck. Um, we use beef neck for one of our sandwiches. We dry age it slightly and then uh, roast it off, slice it thin and put it on a sandwich. We do a play on an, uh, a French dip. We call it the butler dip. So a little, a little beef neck sandwich. I like yeah. that. <laughs> if you think about the protein part, right, blood flow and such, like that neck is, you know, the animal is always moving its head up and down to eat. It's always moving the shoulder area. So you get, you know, really, really good quality meat out of that area of the animal. I have to come in there and try it. I have to come in there and try it. Let's, uh, we have to kind of shift directions. So typically we're going to kind of sh change this a little bit here for you because typically we'll say, Hey, we, when we have friends and family visit Salt Lake city, what do we take and show them? What do we, you know, get, what's the tour we give them? So I'm going to kind of word this differently for you since you're in park city. And I want to know, because I don't get a chance to go to park city as much as I should. So what would you tell people or, Let's reword this for you, John. If you have friends or family that are visiting Park City, what would you tell them to uh, check out or visit? Where or, would you or, drag them? Or where and would you screaming? take them to? As far as restaurants, I would say uh, we enjoy Yukiyama a lot. It's a Japanese restaurant on Main Street. You know, I think Main Street has a great diversity. You know, you can go to a Japanese restaurant, you could go to an American restaurant, you can, you know, there's plenty of culture on that street, and then walk into uh, an art gallery, you know, Macmillan Fine Art, this is an amazing place, I would take people there just to see um, what Jared sees through his camera, right, um, 
and through his lens. But yet you can walk down and get some chocolate across the street or ice cream, right? So Park City Main Street would be kind of as a whole, just to name a few little hot spots in, on there. Otherwise, I'd go down to Afterward and Heber. Their food's amazing. Um, 21 and over, so don't bring kids. Um, <laughs> we have a child, so we have to miss going there sometimes. So Aww. it's like a date night. Um, oh, if you is. haven't <laughs> been out to Woodland for breakfast, go visit the Woodland Biscuit Company. It's a great drive out there too. You can go out to the cheese farm when they're open. Um, Gold Creek is out that way. Um, Mirror Lake Donuts, oddly over in Camas, is some of the best donuts I've had. Um, this is that's very important to know. Yeah, <laughs> Thank you. There, you know, that, and that's funny up here that I've known. You know, coming from such big cities and areas that have you know a ton of food diversity, we don't up here or do not have a lot of food diversity up here. So I'm excited to see some of the new places that are coming online because quite a few new, you know, people have found out the secret, I think, a little bit of Park City that it's been kind of hidden for a while and a little bit of a ski town. And it's not yeah. so shoulder seasoned anymore. And, you know, a lot more um, housing has erupted up here um, from what I've seen. I'm, I'm new, so I can't speak to, you know, five years, 10 years ago, but I've watched it happen. I lived in Las Vegas for 11 years and watched dirt roads turn into freeways, you know? So, yeah. um, yeah, you, you start seeing growth happening when you see a bunch of cranes everywhere. That means something, right? Yeah. And hopefully, like you said, like more diversity, more food, more, you know, yeah. hopefully it just brings a lot more into our lives and enriches everybody. Yeah. A lot yeah. more people, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, this, this area has, has a lot to offer from, uh, you know, biking trails and which I'm just finally getting on a bike this year and learning about that. So, but if you're a snowboarder, the canyons is awesome in my opinion. It's one of my favorite mountains. Are you a are you a snowboarder? I am. Yeah, uh, I'm you're, you're, you're in the you're in the golden you're, you're in the golden. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, yeah, when you said that, I I've always wanted to snowboard, but I am way too old at this point. So kudos to you. Like I'm not going to start. Yeah, and I could. I'm just I never learned to, to you, ski. man. I could never do two, two skis. Um, I can wakeboard too. I can't, I can't water ski with two skis. I could single ski, but I can't, I don't know why I could never do the pizza or whatever they call it. You know, the stuff. <laughs> I could just never figure it's it out. It's hard. Cause like one leg goes that way and the other leg goes yeah. that way. And maybe it's from like skateboarding as a kid and doing that. You know, I don't know. I think this, that's the route I went and I learned to snowboard at such a young age. I was like 16. So I've been doing it for almost, I don't know, 29 years. That's so, cool, man. Yeah, I've been going at it for a while. So you're probably pretty good. You can do a couple jumps and and uh, you know, um, do some I'm sweet one of those stuff speed like guys. That. I like to go really fast. Okay. Oh my gosh, really? Oh, that's terrifying. Yeah, yeah I like to get to like <laughs> if I can get to 60 miles an hour in a day, like that's that was a good day. Is that is that <laughs> see now? Okay, so I'm not a big skier or snowboarder. Is that 60 miles per hour seems fast? That seems fast to me. I don't know. I, yeah. I know people that pass me. So okay, okay. And okay. I know I just people that are way better at jumps and all that. I just I don't fall very often, you know, I mean, I, I, I still fall once in a while. Like, I mean, it's, I just laugh when I do, it's fun. You know, it's, it, there's nothing better than being on top of a mountain and just staring off at, you know, when you're at 9,000 feet looking out across the horizon and it's just it's so peaceful and quiet and, you That's know, kind of grounds super me. majestic. It is. I've always loved it. I just, I, you know, and it's, it's, you're in your own space. You don't have to even, the great thing about the canyons and living up here is like, you know, during the weeks you can get on runs and not see a soul. And it's just you and, you know, the snow and nature. It's awesome. Dude, I am so glad that we got you on the podcast, man. I am so yeah, glad. Yeah, thank you. I know there's, there was a couple of uh, scheduling conflicts there a couple of times, but um, yeah, no, we were all able good. to get it all figured out and worked out. And 
And, um, and I know we just kind of skimmed the surface with everything, man. And basically, you know, I'll have all the links at IamSaltLake.com uh, yeah. for Chop Shop Park City. What's the address of your, of your shop out there, man? Yeah, we're 1177 Center Drive. Um, we're nestled between Best, Best Buy and Hearth and Hill. Um, really great location in New Park. Um, so yeah, definitely come check us out. We're open, uh, Tuesday through Sunday, closed on Mondays, uh, 10 to six. And then Sundays are 11 to four. And if someone shows up, what would you suggest they order? You know, it's funny. Um, I have trouble with that one because I love every dish. Um, so I really, it's like, what do you feel like? You know, I'm kind of like back to like, I'll cook dinner for you, but just tell me what you want. You know, but <laughs> so I asked, you know, do you want beef, pork? Do you want chicken? Like the, the new fried chicken sandwich we put on about a month ago has been doing really, really well. Um, Ooh, I've worked for so many good. different fried the chicken Firebird? companies. So it's yeah, the Firebird. Yum. So I went with a Harissa flavor, um, which is like a Tunisian northern um, kind of flavor, if you will. A little bit more robust smokiness to it that you you wouldn't get from just like another hot sauce, if you will. So. Um, but simple brioche, lettuce, tomato. Um, I even actually funny is when I built that sandwich, I took a photo of it and I texted to Corey. Um, and I was like, does this look familiar? Cause it's the same build <laughs> as our, one his secret Sunday chicken. I just like the format that it holds the lettuce, the tomato, the chicken, the bread, everything holds together on that build we, we came up with. So you oh, laugh, nice. but yeah, yeah. So um, you know, I, upon the Jen Corelli really holds something near and dear to my heart though. Um, Rick Giancarelli is who it's named after from the owner of Lardo, um, was fortunate enough to help him build the Lardo in Vegas and learn a lot from him and become really close friends. And his porchetta sandwich was one of my favorites. So when we were looking again at like menu items and different, you know, I needed something other than beef. Right. So I just called him. I was like, look, I want to copy your sandwich. I'm going to use a different bread. Yeah, I'm going to make it so I could call it whatever I want, but I'd rather just pay homage to you since you're the one that taught me the sandwich. And so I called the Jen Corelli. Um, his weird. is a ciabatta bread um, that he makes. And then our um, bread is a sourdough that we get from a local baker, Hawk and Sparrow, out of Midway. Andrew does amazing work. And he might kill me for talking about him on here because <laughs> I, I think he's already overwhelmed with work, but I don't care. He's the best. Some of the best bread. <laughs> Time in to Utah. hire some people. It really is. <laughs> yeah, I'm like. <laughs> As long as I just keep sending me bread, please. Yeah, yeah, just keep giving us bread. Don't care how yeah. it happens. Good job. Good job. Uh, it was really, really great. <laughs> Chrissy, nice. Chrissy has a final question that she asks everybody that comes through here, John. So I'm going to let her ask you. Thank you again for uh, recording with us, man. And uh, we'll just have to kind of you know catch up down the road, bring you on, and see how the see how the chop shop's doing. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, for real. This was really fun. Thank you. Um, before we let you go. Could you leave our listeners and us with a piece of life advice or a motto that you live by? Cook good food and go home. Work hard, but go home. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your time with your family because it's brief. Thanks again to John Courtney for joining us on this episode of the podcast. All of the links that we mentioned in this conversation can be found with this episode show notes on our podcast website at IamSaltLake.com and to get straight to this episode, IamSaltLake.com slash 480 for episode 480. Hey, yeah, reach out to John. Go tell yeah. him, say, hey, I heard you Go on the I Am Salt Lake podcast. Go buy a steak. Hey, I want to mention there's a couple of ways you can support this podcast. There's a few ways you can uh, do it monetarily or non-monetarily. First and foremost, you can leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. This doesn't cost you anything, but it lets uh, people know what you think of the podcast and it lets Chrissy and I know 
what uh, what you think of the podcast too. Because well, we can do better. What can we what can we improve on? Yeah, we always love hearing from our listeners. You can also share your favorite episodes on social media at from IamSaltLake.com. That's where all the episodes are. You can share some of those episodes, or better yet, you can become a Patreon supporter. I love our Patreon supporters, and you can become one by going to patreon.com slash IamSaltLake. All right, you guys have a great week this week. It's going to be beautiful out there. Get out and enjoy the city. Support local. And we're going to see you next week on the next episode of I Am Salt Lake Podcast. And good night, Grammy. <laughs>